on, everybody? Welcome to episode 248 of the DFS Dose podcast, your fix of daily fantasy sports information, strategy, and analysis. I'm your host, Ben Hover, joined as I always am by Joey Carrion. And on today's show, we are going to talk about our week two results from a DraftKings perspective, hit on some of the interesting stats and storylines from the week. Joey, how did you do in week two? Did we bounce back? What are the vibes? Yeah, I mean, it, it was a winning week. Um, Nothing crazy. I didn't play much cash just because I didn't really like the, the cash lineup this week, to be honest, even though I felt like it kind of made itself in the plays were pretty self-explanatory. Uh, so I'd mostly focused on ter- tournaments and I had a couple good tournament lineups. I cashed uh, four out of my six tournament lineups. My best team finished with 171 points in the Millie Maker. Obviously, that is not good enough to get it done, but I was on, you know, some of the best plays on the slate. So, nonetheless, it's good to get a W in the books in week two after an abysmal week one. Yeah, no doubt about it. Also had a slight winning week, but... I can't lie, dude. I'm just, I'm disappointed in this week because I feel like it could have been so much better. I feel like I had a lot of the best plays on the slate and they just weren't put together in the right lineups. And that's always tough to stomach when, you know, you have the standout plays paired in the wrong stacks, et cetera, et cetera. I mean, I I won 57% of my head-to-heads with Trey Lance getting injured, you know, on their second drive. You know, like I, I was so close to smashing in cash. I had the two a double stacks. I had the Lamar stack uh, with Tyreek bring back Mark Andrews. Like I had the pieces, but it just was not enough to get it done. Had a lineup put up 210 uh, and not finish inside the top 10 of a small field. It's just a tough week when you feel like you're leaving some of the money on the table and you feel like you're hitting the right plays, but just not able to get there results wise. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, that's just the game with tournaments, right? You know, it could be weeks before you actually get the right combo of players and, you know, catch yourself up at the top of the leaderboards. But as long as you believe your process is correct and, you know, this week it was correct in tournaments, uh, that's all that matters. And, you know, the, the scores will eventually come, hopefully, I should say. Hopefully, hopefully. Never want to bank on those too early. From a cash game perspective, the decision points on this slate, I don't think that there were that many. I feel like we talked about this a lot on the Saturday night, late night live stream, talking about how, you know, a large part of the lineups were going to be very consolidated around plays like Saquon Barkley, Daryl Henderson, Devontae Adams, Bengals D. Trey Lance, Derek Carr, Albert O, like a lot of the chalk was going to be so heavily consolidated that, you know, cash games this week were mostly a 2v2 or 3v3. Yeah, absolutely. And a lot of the chalk ended up failing. So cash games were pretty tough, especially if you didn't have, you know, a Tyreek Hill in there. I know you ran him in cash. I didn't play him. So when you're not getting anybody doing anything, in your cash game lineup like I had this week. I'm kind of glad that I didn't play much. I I definitely would have took a massive L in cash and would have had a losing week had I played more cash than tournaments. So kind of glad that I focused more on tournaments this week. But yeah, not many decision points in cash. The lineups ultimately built themselves in the 3v3 or the 2v2 that you were deciding in cash. The the projections were, were very close on any 
of the decision points that you could have made. So process wise, I don't I don't really think there was any terrible plays in cash. It's just, you know, did you get on the Tyreek Hill lineup or not? Um, did you run if you ran the train lineup, which had uh, Derek Carr and, you know, some other guys you, you probably could have cashed. But if you played train Lance and you didn't have Tyreek Hill. Uh, you were probably dust like my lineup. Yeah, Trey Lance getting knocked out was just absolutely brutal for me. Thought I was on pace for a monster week, but that's that's just how it goes sometimes. Let's talk about some of the interesting stats and storylines from the week. And the big stat, the big storyline comes from Tua Tagovailoa. Joey, Tua Tagovailoa won somebody a million dollars today. Yeah, indeed. Uh, in the $20 Millie Maker, that was the double stack that you needed uh it was Tua to Tyreek Hill Jalen Waddle with the Mark Andrews bring back just a very clear double stack you know the way Tua is hitting his ceiling is through a massive day in the air uh because he has no rushing upside and the targets are pretty consolidated in Miami so those are the clear and obvious spots that you want to double stack and we talked about on the live stream that the Ravens were dealing with injuries and you know we mentioned these Dolphins wide receivers in that stream so yeah they were they were both good plays Waddle was six percent in the millie Tyreek Hill was 14 percent Tua was three percent so you know you're getting a combined ownership of 23 percent for that stack with a nine percent Mark Andrews I mean just one of the best doubles and bringbacks on the entire slate and they ended up smashing and I'm pretty sure Tyreek Hill and, and Jalen Waddle were are like the first two wide receivers on the same team to go for 170 yards each and two touchdowns each. Uh, just, just a massive day. Wouldn't be shocked. You know, usually you think about these large field tournaments and if, if one wide receiver is dropping a 40 spot, it's hard for another one on the same team to do it. But both of these wide receivers dropped 40 spots. Tyreek Hill 11 for 189 and two on 13 targets. Waddle 11 for 171 and two on 19 targets. Tyreek Hill even missed some time going into the locker room in this game came out and just pulled up a massive clutch touchdown down the stretch two touchdowns down the stretch just does this change the way that you feel about two attack of ILO I feel like we've sort of looked at him as a low ceiling play for quite some time but now the Dolphins are passing at one of the highest rates over expectation in the NFL we've seen now a an actual reality example of his ceiling 468 yards passing and six touchdowns and he has a top two wide receiver duo with a heavily consolidated target share I mean is this going to be a double stack that we can come back to throughout the year now yeah I think obviously it's a clear consolidated target tree in Miami for sure and that obviously makes for clean stacks I think that at cost it's probably going to be a little bit more expensive now than what it was in this week and then they obviously hit the absolute nut game script going down 21 points to the Ravens and then the Ravens just ultimately just kind of choked that game away uh, but nonetheless it is nice to see Tua have this ceiling and hit this ceiling and then obviously we know Tyreek Hill has one of the highest ceilings out of any player in the NFL and Jalen Waddle also scored 40 points so yeah I, I think moving forward I mean this Dolphins team could be an interesting team to stack especially because we, we just know where the targets are going and the wide receivers are so good that it makes a ton of sense to target these guys. Yep. Any questions about whether or not Tyreek Hill was simply a product of Patrick Mahomes, I think can safely be 
put to bed. We're sitting here talking about ceilings, so I think we should talk about the player who displayed the highest ceiling on the entire slate, if not for Tua's monster performance. I think we would have opened up this segment talking about the quarterback on the other side of the ball, Lamar Jackson, who, you know, did did what we rarely see on DraftKings, the rare double bonus 300 passing yards, 100 rushing yards, hit both bonuses, put up a slate leading 48.62 points on DraftKings. Lamar Jackson going absolutely nuclear in this spot. Yeah, I mean, Lamar has one of the highest ceilings at the quarterback position. You know, at 7,400, 5% ownership. He was a clear smash in tournaments. I played him in a couple lineups. This is probably going to be the the highest scoring game of the entire season, in my opinion, on DraftKings from a quarterback. Just, you know, kind of kind of hurts when Tua does put up 43. He only scored five less, but it took him six passing touchdowns, you yeah. know. So, yeah, if if not for Tua going for 43 at 5,600, uh, you would have needed Lamar, but obviously ended up you needing Tua to win or at least be at the top of these GPPs. But, yeah, nonetheless, Lamar Jackson is obviously elite. I, I don't think we need, really need to to touch on Lamar. I mean, if you're not if you're not playing Lamar while he's in the in the mid sevens, low sevens, like I, I think you're kind of just sacrificing money a little bit. Yeah, especially on a slate like this, which is something that we talked about uh, again on the late night Saturday live stream that on a slate with no Josh Allen, no Herbert, no Patrick Mahomes, no Jalen Hurts that, you know, it, it was probably a really sharp idea to try and target the quarterbacks that do have the ability to separate. Obviously, we're not banking on a two a six touchdown game if not for that Lamar Jackson would have you know very definitively separated from the quarterback position so I do feel comfortable about being in on Lamar Jackson in this spot it seems like it was a clear move Mm -hmm. and a clear path to take in tournaments this week and you could have said the same thing about Mark Andrews who was the you know optimal stacking partner for him who separated with a 100 yard game as well put up almost 30 points on DraftKings at the tight end position finishing with over 10 points higher than these uh second highest scoring tight end which was Darren Waller with 17. Yeah, I mean Mark Andrews was, you know, a clear stud play this week. I I mentioned it I think on the stream. You know, when when you're getting a player like Mark Andrews that can separate from the field at 6400, it was pretty much the same situation as Kelsey last week when he was 6600. Having a player like Mark Andrews at that cheap of a price tag where he's projecting well, you know, he was going to be around 10 to 15% ownership, which isn't too bad. I think he was a very, very good tournament play. And we just see week over week that the tight end pool is extremely fragile. And these top guys are, are so valuable. And if if DraftKings continues to underprice these guys, like I think they should probably be a priority moving forward. Agreed. Speaking of underpriced, I think that this is probably the last time this season that we will see Amon Ross St. Brown priced under 7K, putting up the third 40 plus point performance on this slate from the wide receiver position. Rarely do we see that Amonra St. Brown, another 12 target performance, put up nine for 116 and two touchdowns, receiving with two rushing attempts for 68 yards. Absolutely explosive. Amonra St. Brown is a top blank wide receiver, Joey. Fill in the blank. I mean, I don't know about real life, but for fantasy, this this man is top 12. Top 12 easily. I, easily. I, I mean, he's 
that that's the thing about this game, I think, changed my perspective on Amon Ross St. Brown. I sort of thought that he was just a fantasy guy, just a product of that, but he was legitimately electric all over the field, making monster play after monster play. I think Amon Ross St. Brown is the real deal, and I just, I don't know how much respect we need to put on this man's name. I mean, you could make the case that over the last eight games that he's played, he is easily a top 10 wide receiver in the in the NFL at this point. I mean, I don't know about real life. Let's let's settle that down uh eight games is still a very small sample size I mean obviously he's been he's been very productive in those eight games if CD Lamb had this eight game stretch we'd be calling him the next Jamar Chase (laughs) Uh, I don't know about that one either uh (laughs) I I think you might be getting a little ahead of yourself there Benny because obviously there there's a difference I mean, production definitely matters, but you know, if you if you get the talent bros out there, they they might not say talent wise he's he's top ten. Yeah, the, but the, the, sa- the same wise, talent bros who were telling me that Cooper Cup was due for regression, huh? <laughs> yeah, I mean, volume over uh, over talent, right? I think they both play a part, especially with Amonra. I mean, maybe I don't know how talented you know he actually is I don't watch much Lions football but obviously he's got to be talented enough to consistently be putting up monster fantasy scores and I think he's probably going to become a 7k wide receiver here shortly and uh we'll 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 have to see if he's still a good value at that price tag but if he's consistently getting 10 plus targets it's going to be hard to not play a monora in fantasy yeah speaking of young talented wide receivers Garrett Wilson made his presence felt for the Jets offense today with a eight for 102 and two touchdown stat line on 14 targets. Elijah Moore has been struggling, but Garrett Wilson has found no lack of production so far to start off his career, the 10th overall pick, making his mark early. Yeah, obviously he had a uh, pretty underwhelming week one, but followed up with an amazing week two. And it's just going to be interesting to, to see how this shakes out uh, week over week. I think that it's hard to say like Garrett Wilson immediately is is the guy in that offense after two games, but he has a significantly better target share than Elijah Moore through the first two games. You know, he's outscored Elijah Moore by 20 plus PPR points in the in both uh weeks total and I don't know maybe maybe Garrett Wilson is is the real deal obviously they drafted him relatively high in this past NFL draft and you know he's like the first 21 year old rookie wide receiver to have a game with like 10 plus targets before Mm. week 15 like ever or something something crazy like that that I saw on Twitter do you think Garrett would have been putting up these numbers uh if Zach Wilson was behind center I mean, probably not. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, Flacco's doing some wild things out there. Flacco dropping a 30-point DraftKings performance was not something I envisioned happening this season, but here we are. (laughs) Yeah, a lot of the uh, a lot of the cheaper quarterbacks so far this season have been putting up GPP winning scores. Yeah, I mean, on this slate, uh, four of the top six were priced 5,800 and below: Tua, Carson Wentz, Flacco, and Jared Goff. Um, crazy times in the DraftKings streets. Crazy, crazy times. <laughs> yeah, I mean, this week was was definitely kind of an outlier week, just with all the quarterbacks that you mentioned not being on the slate. And I think it was probably the the right process to play some of these quarterbacks that we 
necessarily wouldn't consider on you know regular weeks uh just with some of the matchups that they did have like Carson Wentz going up against the Lions defense and Tua was in a good spot with the Ravens injuries and yeah so I I think it was just I think this was just kind of an outlier week to play these cheap quarterbacks um you know I I would expect it to to swing back to you know you're going you're going to need the top guys uh over the course of the season to win tournaments on DraftKings yeah that that seems like the most likely outcome going forward. All right, Joey, I want to get your concern rating on a couple of situations here. Start off with Devontae Adams, who was held to only two catches on seven targets, a pretty drastic change from what we saw in week one. Some of it could have been game script dependent. Arizona ended up winning this game, but that was sort of a, you know, come from behind win. Vegas was ahead for the vast majority. Maybe that plays a part. But Devontae Adams, are you concerned after this performance? Obviously a massive disappointment as one of the chalkiest wide receivers on the slate at 8,600. Dude, I'm I'm not concerned at all. That's a solid one. The Raiders, obviously, they attempted 39 passes. Derek Carr did. He had seven targets, which was, you know, a fourth on the team. Just a, just a bad game. Just a bad game for the Raiders passing attack. Just an underwhelming performance from Devontae Adams. They did a relatively good job locking up Devontae. And the, the Raiders really didn't even have the ball in the fourth quarter slash overtime. Yeah. It was all Arizona. We were watching that game and it felt like the Cardinals just were on the field the entire time we were watching that game and they put up a little uh, graphic that said they hadn't been on the field for over 30 minutes like in real life from like 708 to like 740 mm. uh the the Raiders offense. So the Cardinals just ran more plays than the Raiders. Devontae Adams still a top, you know, three wide receiver in the league. Like I'm not concerned. All right. How about Kyle Pitts two catches on three targets with some concerning verbiage uh from from Arthur Smith post game? Yeah, I mean his quote was you know we're not concerned about fantasy football we're trying to win games mm. when asked about why isn't uh Kyle Pitts involved you know that's pretty funny yeah I, I guess aren't you going to win games if you get you know a player that you drafted with the fourth overall pick involved you you would think yeah I mean it like yes we're concerned about it from a fantasy perspective but he should be concerned about it from a job security perspective no <laughs> yeah I mean just abysmal usage for for Kyle Pitts like this needs to be a guy that you are scheming targets this needs to be a guy where you know when you're relaying the the call to Marcus Mariota like you say throw the ball to Kyle Pitts on this play or, or scheme up plays for him give him jump balls give him more opportunities than what he's seeing and I should have just stuck to my fucking guns on Kyle Pitts man that that's kind of my my big takeaway from these first two weeks is well, we were we were on the the fade Kyle Pitts train, or at least I was. Yeah. Uh, early in the in the off season and throughout the summer, and then we kind of both changed our tune and and said, you know, just buy a generational talent at the tight end position, and who would have known that the Falcons are not using him how he should be used? Who would have guessed that? Yeah. You you know what you know what we did, Joey? What did we do? We we assumed rational coaching and. We're, we're, we've been in this game too goddamn long to be doing that. Rookie mistake. Rookie mistake. We we've been in this. We've been doing this way too long. Where we every fucking year we just talk ourselves into terrible fantasy selections. I don't understand why we do it. I don't either, man. It's it's. I don't know. I just I don't know. 
another player that I've been pretty high on or, or I was pretty high on throughout the process was Russell Wilson. And that brings me to to my last question for you in terms of your level of concern. Russell Wilson looks absolutely terrible. This offense looks like a mess. It looks like a schematic failure. Wilson had a 45% completion percentage against the Houston Texans today. I know that he lost Jerry Judy for a large portion of this game, but still inexcusable for a player that, you know, we look at as a high caliber borderline elite quarterback to be looking this dismally awful in his new Denver situation. Yeah, I mean, 14 completions on 31 attempts for 219 yards and a touchdown, only two passing touchdowns to start the year in two plus matchups against Seattle and Houston. There's definitely something off with this Broncos team for sure. Um, Hopefully they get this situation corrected. And like you said, they did lose Jerry Judy. They obviously lost Tim Patrick. KJ Hamler was out in this game as well. So they were down a ton of skill position talent. It was really like just Cortland Sutton out there and Javante Williams. But yeah, it's hard because... We know Russell is one of the better quarterbacks in the NFL. Like we just we just know he's capable of being a consistent fantasy option. Is he going to be a guy that routinely hits a ceiling and that you need to be prioritizing on DraftKings? Probably not. He's probably a guy at cost you're going to fade each and every single week on DraftKings. Uh, he was 7,200 this week. I had him in one lineup, probably a mistake in, in hindsight. But in redraft and you know just in your home leagues, this should be a guy that, that will get you 17 to 22, 23 points a game. Yeah, I, I think that we'll see his price drop and maybe he comes into a price range where we can see a ceiling that looks good enough to to maybe take shots on on DraftKings. But I think at this point, that'll be price dependent. We definitely need to see his price fall below 7k before we are even you know considering russell wilson at this point in dfs joey lastly some some people could say that karma is real let's talk about nick chubb who years ago put us through a lot of pain and, and today it all came put you you through a lot of pain not me because i don't play nick chubb on DraftKings. Mm. if he burns me he burns me but i'm not i'm never playing nick chubb on DraftKings. but in theory, in theory, he burned you today. And yeah, I mean, if you didn't have Nick Chubb, you didn't win anything. So, yeah. yeah. This week, Nick Chubb was the only running back to put up 30-plus on DraftKings, so definitely a Nick Chubb week. But years ago, you you may remember when Nick Chubb was rushing down the sideline, nothing but daylight in front of him, nothing but green grass in an end zone, and and he decided to step out to preserve the team's win. And and today, Joey, the, the touchdown that he scored, his third touchdown of the day, actually ended up causing the Browns to lose. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, it's it's funny to sit here and say, like, yeah, if Nick Chubb doesn't score that, they win because they could have just needed out. But obviously, you don't expect the Browns defense to give up two touchdowns with a minute and 55 seconds left. But it's funny how it came full circle. He got them the dub in that game, costed fantasy managers, you know, a nice long touchdown for the overall benefit of the team. But in this game, he decided to score that touchdown, and they ended up losing. They give up an onside kick, and Joe Flacco drives down for a game-winning drive and hits Garrett Wilson, and they <laughs> and they lose, and they lose by one point. <laughs> 
And that's what Karma. and that's what you get, Nick Chubb. I'm I'm glad the Browns lost. I hope that hurts. Let's close it out with injuries to watch. Joey Trey Lance. We might as well say R.I.P. Adam Schefter tweeted out that his ankle injury is believed to be significant. Trey Lance out for the season. Yeah, I mean. R.I.P. Brutal. Not much else needs to be said. I mean, we knew these injuries were going to come after a relatively quiet offseason with no injuries, and they are starting to uh, starting to heat up, and that's the risk that, you know, you take when you rush your quarterback. And, you know, it's only a matter of time before we see more rushing quarterbacks start to get serious injuries when they're taking, you know, a lot of hits. Yep. Um, absolutely. 49ers happy that they did not trade Jimmy Garoppolo. Jerry Judy, we already mentioned, came down with a shoulder injury diagnosis currently unknown. James Conner suffered an ankle injury in the third quarter of the Cardinals game. Do we have any updated information on that? I think right now we don't. I don't think it's anything crazy. Obviously, the game just ended and there there's no, you know, 100% dying diagnosis right now but we'll obviously have to wait and see with James Connor and whether or not this ankle injury will affect him but he did leave the game in the third quarter and didn't return so it's definitely going to be a situation to monitor and you know you could probably prioritize you know Benjamin or Daryl Williams in your redraft leagues at least for this week if James Connor were to miss yep you know Benjamin did look like he had some burst out there after Connor went out Daryl Williams ended up getting the short yardage touchdown we will have to see how that situation breaks out uh pending a Connor diagnosis lastly Dalton Schultz Suffered a knee injury reportedly not believed to be too serious. A source close to the scene said that they don't believe it is an ACL or that there's any structural damage. So it looks like Schultz gets away with a more minor injury, but still something to monitor. There will be more Mm -hmm. tests ran on Monday. Yeah, I mean, this Cowboys team is kind of in shambles right now, so... But yeah. they did win. Shout out to the Cowboys. They did win. They did knock me out of my last man standing. Shout out to Cowboys. And that is going to be it for episode 248 of the DFS Dose podcast. Make sure you follow us on Twitter at Dose Media Net as well as our personal Twitters. I'm at Ben Hover. Joey is at Joey Carrion DFS. If you guys want to connect with us and stay up to date with what is going on within the network, you can join our inner circle via the free Discord channel. You can find that in the show notes to this podcast. To everybody listening out there, we appreciate you. We value you. Until next time, let's stay accountable and keep it authentic.